0: Greetings, fellow imps. I'm imp fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to Now Here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the IPS that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Welcome back, IMP Nation. Man, I got a good one for us today. Mark Stansel, what's up, brother?
1: How are you, Tom? Thank you for uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel for me.
0: Yeah, there was no one left. You were the last (laughs) IMP. It was, what do they call it, Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft? You're, You're Mr. Irrelevant, the last one. No, man, thanks for agreeing. I love when I ask people to come on and they say, oh, I don't know if I have anything to talk about. And then in like the pre-game cyber stalking and everything, you have a lot to talk about, but let's do it all in due course. Roanoke, Virginia, you're hanging out, doing nothing, pretending to study for high school, and then you wind up choosing UVA. What happened?
1: Uh, choose would be an overstatement. So, you know, growing up in Roanoke, if you are, uh, Uh, a slightly above average student of my generation. That's just what you did. You applied to UVA early decision and you didn't think about anything else because that was what was available to you as a uh, underachieving student with five A's and two B's and uh, the third of five kids. And my brother had been in school here and that's just what sort of preppy kids from Roanoke uh, who could get through the SAT would do. Um, so literally there was no choice and there was never, I never even thought about another school, nor would any other school have me probably. That was
0: good. That was a marriage made in heaven. Then one choice for you, one choice for them. I love it. And then, so you get there, tell me about your first year experience, dorm and
1: everything. So. This is the best part because well, it's a little complicated. Um, there are two me. So um, so for those of you who, who don't know me in person, uh, I look kind of like uh, at age, what, I'm, I'm 48. I look I still look like uh, Richie Cunningham. And the 17-year-old me, I was 17 when I got to college, was like a shiny version of Richie Cunningham. So it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't really a feast for the eyes. Um, nonetheless, uh, met my uh, now wife, in bonnie castle um well we can come back to that story uh, in a minute because it's got some twists and turns to it um had uh what most would describe as a first year an uh, undistinguished first year academically where i was i was pretty much a boy scout in uh in high school pretty much kind of uh, went the other direction as soon as i got to college and realized that you know you you could have a little more fun than perhaps i'd had in high school um and then, uh, you know, met lifelong, like, truly lifelong friends. My, I'm still very close to one of my hallmates um, from that first year, and certainly friendly with everybody else. Um, I, I became a little more studious as, as school went on, but uh, kind of, uh, I don't know how I would describe the first year other than uh, sort of working out all the experiences I had missed in high school uh, and and trying to get through sort of mid-level Spanish classes. Well, I
0: guess if you're Richie Cunningham, that makes Mike Frederick Fonzie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to say, and I, we had chatted briefly before, and I, I told you I'd been on an imp march my first year via Ross Wiener, and my, uh, it was a guest, who uh, took my older brother as a guest on a march, and my brother had the sort of poor judgment to invite me. But I did see Mike Frederick drink from, uh, you know, a trash can uh, at the march. That's as close as I would get to Fonzie. I mean, like, I'm quite certain I didn't make an impression on him that evening, but uh, I was certainly not in any orbit that that would have put me like even in, the. I don't remember the name of the diner at Happy Days, but I wouldn't even have gotten a table with Potsy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. You stole my next one because I was going to say Ross is like Potsy,
1: right? <laughs> oh, that's generous. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know Ross a good bit. Uh, we overlapped, you know, beyond that. He went to law school. So I, you know, we, we've we've crossed paths a few times. Um, I would say he's more of a Chachi, but to be honest, he's uh, he, he's more of a Ralph ralph right wasn't that uh
0: yeah yeah. Uh, well, yeah well you know the sad part about this conversation is that we have a whole younger imp nation that they're saying wait what happy days Fox? Oh, they've already
1: skipped they've already skipped forward by they're already like
0: seconds. they're hitting the plus 30 plus 30 plus 30 on this one mm-hmm. so they don't have to listen to this part of it all right well screw mm-hmm. you young people you <laughs> should go back and watch the happy days episodes those are good Cool. So then, okay, t- take me through. Then were you pre-law the whole way, or what? Was oh the- no, no.
1: I was a I was a very serious person. I was going to go to the com school because I thought that's you know business as we would say sounded like something that I should do. So I took um, I took econ. I started. I think I had to take some calculus, which I had barely made it through in high school um, to the point where. Um, When you took AP Calc in my high school, there was a day I remember coming in and and the teacher said, well, the AP exam is coming up, but if I haven't already spoken to you, you don't need to bother taking it. And so um, many of us were not even invited to pay the $62 or whatever it was. So I I was doing that my first year and then just taking stuff that my brother said was fun to take, um, including just, you know, uh, the, the classes that were supposed to be very easy, which I found that if you do not attend um, can be quite challenging. So I'm proud to I'm proud to call Ken Elzing uh, a friend and mentor, but also earned my very worst grade of college in Econ 201. Um, so very uh, very proud proud distinguished career that first semester.
0: Is isn't that ironic that I have the same dubious distinction? And I've been a financial advisor for 27 years. Like, like, I hope none of my clients are listening to this. They're going to be like the guy who basically almost failed a basic econ class is now managing my money.
1: Yeah. Well, they don't tell you when you go to econ that there are like graphs and like lines. You know, I thought it would be sort of like basic arithmetic. Uh, And then when they started introducing shaded areas under graphs, that's where I lost uh, all interest. Um, And again, not, not Ken's fault. You should go to class. I'm told, and you learn much more that way.
0: Yeah, that's the day that I shifted my um, my major from the com school to modernist art and how things work and by psych, whatever those.
1: I did crush. I did crush how things work with Lou Bloomfield. I will say that. So com school, that com school thing lasted uh, I, into my second year. I was I was taking a couple of the accounting classes, and that. That was really awful. That's when I realized I, I, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't cut it there. And so I learned about political and social thought as a major, which was a uh, interdisciplinary thing where you basically get to make up what you're taught, what you find interesting and and basically bullshit your way through the rest of college. And that's, that's what led me to law school, the bullshitting.
0: Okay. I'm glad to hear that we're training our lawyers with such high standards now. That's great. That's
1: awesome. No, absolutely. You want you at least want one who's good at it, right? If you can read, you know, twenty three pages of Moby Dick and write a paper about it, like that's a good lawyer. That's wow.
0: Reading twenty three pages. I don't think Chris Halcheck read twenty three pages through his four years in
1: uh, at UVA. So okay, cool. And then you met your now wife there. Give me the story. So uh, yeah, so we were in the same dorm, Bonnie Castle, and uh, we had this brief. Uh, uh, dating experience, our first semester, which lasted a few weeks and then seemed to run its course pretty quickly. But then there was this sort of what we described to uh, people as this like Ross and Rachel thing for the rest of, of college, where I would be super into her, but she was dating someone else, and then she would be super into me and I was dating someone else. And whatever, uh, you know, depending on who's telling the story, it's either my fault or her fault at any given time. And then our fourth year we were we were friends but in that kind of like people had trouble being around us because like I don't want to say sexual tension because it was really again like back to the shiny thing just tension but uh worked out great and it worked out great because uh my it's what January of our fourth year we had um, I'll just describe it as an episode uh that lowered inhibitions sufficiently an evening in which inhibitions had been lowered uh, where we kind of finally got over all of our uh, baggage. And then uh, we've been together since then. So we'll have been we got married right after law school. So we've been married, Holly and I've been married uh, 20 coming up 24 years this September.
0: Wow. Somebody lasted with you 24 years. That's she's a yeah, the saint. key is
1: that I leave town for work a good bit. So, you know, she gets a break.
0: Yeah. Your mom said your marriage will will last a long time. It's just uh, because she never sees you, right? That was kind yeah. of... Yeah.
1: A guy I used to work for, when he was talking, I asked him, uh, you know, he was in his 70s at the time. I said, why have you retired? He goes, well, you know, my wife said I married you for better or for worse, but not for lunch. So,
0: uh, <laughs> so then tell me about um, how did the imps pop up? What year was that? What was going on?
1: That was fall of my fourth year. I was trying to remember even how, like what my tapping prank was. And I honestly don't remember. I do remember that it was yet another incident where my wife would point out that I was, uh, it was the evening of the colonnade ball. I think that was in the fall. Yeah. And, um, I remember because she had, she had said we should go together and I had already arranged, uh, a date for myself. So that, you know, in this Ross and Rachel thing, nothing was on me, but then, um, it turned out for the best probably because I'm told I was a terrible date that night uh, due to the the tapping. Um, but honestly, Phil Gates was involved, and that's the best I can remember. And you'd have to – Phil probably remembers everything. Um, I hope he didn't write it down though. Well,
0: you've hit the rock bottom that what you remember is Phil Gates. Phil, I think that's a first and a last that we'll ever hear that someone <laughs> someone remembered on their tapping night, Phil, the because indelible
1: always, imprint. Yeah,
0: he was always the voice of reason, and like when we got out of control, he's the one who reined us back in. Right, so that, there we go. Yeah,
1: but that's that's uh, like we say in my business, damning by faint praise, right? Like to say that Phil is the voice of reason, right?
0: Yeah. It's like calling him a Z. (laughs) Cool. Okay. And then did you go to law school right out of college? What happened? Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I was, by the time I finished my first year, I'd become a reasonably successful student, uh, stayed, decided to stay at UVA for law school because it was much in the day, back in the day, much, much cheaper, than other schools that I was looking at. And so then I just, you know, for a political and social thought major who didn't have any other skill besides reading, writing, and bullshitting, uh, that law school seemed like a good idea. And I thought I wanted to be a law professor. So I was going to be uh, I was going to be a, you know, a scholar and and teach. That was the idea.
0: Now, what's the, I don't even know how that works. When you become a professor of law, you must have practiced for a number of years or do people just go right into that?
1: You you would you would think so and hope so. And it's actually just the opposite, where the more the more you practice real law, the less good you are perceived to be as a law professor. So virtually every this is it's not universally true, but you know. The, the overwhelming majority of, uh, elite law professors have little or no private practice or practicing experience that you, you go. In fact, now it's more common to have a law degree and a PhD into like, you know, uh, like ichthyology or something that you can use to, uh, you know, talk about the law of fish and how it affects their, uh, I think that's what an ichthyologist is, but, uh, that, that is, uh, that's actually why I'm not a law professor, because whatever insights I have into what I do, uh, they're practical and not abstract and theoretical.
0: You, you ruined yourself. You just you ruined yourself. You went into practice and you ruined it.
1: I found the I found the uh, outer edge of my ability to bullshit. I, I cannot do it, but I can't footnote it. And that uh, that's why I do what I do. OK, so then what happened after law school? So I did two clerkships uh, in the legal world. You can go work for a judge for a year. It's called a, It's like a. Like a. It's sort of like a residency almost, but not everybody does it. But so I did a year on the Court of Appeals um, with in Denver, um, the Tenth Circuit, for a judge named David Ebel, and then a year on the Supreme Court for Chief Justice Rehnquist. And then I've been in private practice ever since. So then that's in the last. that was I finished that in 01. Rehnquist, holy cow. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, best boss ever. I mean, just just amazing. Like he's he's got, I didn't agree with him on much of anything, but I uh, you didn't need to, to do that job. He was incredibly down to earth. Um, I had my year, the year I was clerking, was the Bush v. Gore year. So that was kind of a little bit of a memorable. Um, and uh, for, for law nerds, it's about as exciting as it gets. And uh, so peaked at 25 uh, and, and have been on a, on a steady downward spiral since, but it was cool. I mean, it's a great job. It's, it's all the cases are interesting. He, he was excellent. And you, know, you get a lot of unstructured time with, with him as well. And that's kind of a once in a lifetime experience.
0: And so I cyber stalked you a little bit. Sounds like you were in front of the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, so since, you know, once I got into private practice, I've kind of done a mix of things, but one of the, one of my, it's really more hobby than passion is I have done Supreme Court cases. So I've argued five cases in the Supreme Court, um, some of them through a class that I have co-taught at the law school as an adjunct uh, called the Supreme Court Litigation Clinic and a couple of others that have just kind of come my way through a little bit of luck and um, a little bit of uh, hustle. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a super cool experience. It's a little, uh, It can be a little all-consuming as you'd imagine to prepare for stuff like that. So I don't actively seek them out anymore, but five is a great number. And if I can do a six someday, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. What was the most memorable one? The, the dirty secret about the Supreme Court bar, if you will, is that most of the cases are like incredibly technical and not sexy. So they have like maybe four or five cases a year that you'll hear about. And then there's another 70 cases. You're like, wait a second. The Supreme Court is talking about that. So one of my favorites uh, involved how a how the city of Indianapolis was able to charge its residents for a sewer connection fee. I know so. I think I've got the hook set, so I'll just reel you in. You could either take a monthly installment plan or pay it all at once. Uh, when they assessed it, and so the people who took the monthly installment plan, then the, the, the politics changed, and they were, had all of their balances forgiven. And so all my clients were the ones who had paid up front, and they sued uh, under the and and uh, claimed that it violated the equal protection clause of the Constitution.
0: Cliffhanger! That's probably a movie in the making.
1: Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but I lost. Um, But I did lose. I lost in I I I think a pretty dignified fashion because I lost to Paul Clement, who would go on to be uh, the Solicitor General, or I think maybe had been the Solicitor General by that time. Um, And then the best part was that my my advocate uh, on the on the bench was John Roberts because he had he had worked on a case twenty years before sort of making the same argument that I was making. Uh, and he also lost. But anyway, I got a good dissenting opinion.
0: And tell me about the uh, prison rodeo story.
1: <laughs> so my, one of my favorite party tricks is to sort of juxtapose this, like, uh, you know, uh, effete academic dandy persona with with the reality of my upbringing in South Texas. So I... Um, in gosh, this would have been in like early 80s. My parents said, well, you know, today we're going up to Huntsville. And I yeah, we didn't know what that was. So what what they took us to was the Huntsville Prison Rodeo in Huntsville, Texas, which I don't think we have them anymore. I think they would probably be, if not illegal, at least disfavored. But um it's an arena you go literally to the prison and half of the arena are inmates guarded with shotguns behind fences and chain link and all that stuff. And the other half are just good, you know, red-blooded American, uh, uh free folk who are sitting there watching a rodeo and the, and the prisoners do the rodeoing and, and the best way to describe sort of the sort of, and I don't know if this is like barbaric by modern standards. I'm just, I'm just a, an accounting, I'm just giving a historical accounting, but, uh, it's called convict poker where they put, uh, Four inmates in the middle of the ring with a card table, and the, the last inmate to take their hands off the table wins. Uh, and the trick is that they have a bull loose in the ring. And so this is this passed for entertainment in South Texas in 1980, uh, whatever. Um, pretty sure we, 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 if we do them anymore, we should.
0: Yeah, in what I call that is uh Brazilian soccer games. You've just <laughs> you just described with the- right, bring
1: your own uh bring your own knife.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's a good mm-hmm. one. I wish we had um like iPhones back then. I would have loved to have seen pictures or video of that stuff.
1: I did find there's an old black and white uh news photo I found of it. Uh I looked like a year or so ago just to make sure that my memory was accurate. And it was very accurate. I mean, it is, like, I have this, this vivid memory of being sitting across this arena that wasn't that big. And literally all the other people are in a cage and they're just guard after guard after guard. And, and then there's, you know, little, you know, eight year old me sitting there with his parents and his siblings eating a corn dog. I mean, not, not in the photo. I, I think that's the corn dog is in my memory, but it's uh, it was, it was quite something. Well, you know, we
0: just interviewed some of the current imps in one of the last episodes, and maybe that's like a new tradition they could start. Like on the lawn, they could have like a card game, there could be tuna involved, and then, I don't know, maybe the, the bull could be, I don't know,
1: attacked on. You know, on, I, they like used that. to have livestock on the lawn, so you could call it like an historical reenactment. And yeah, maybe right. Yeah. yeah you, can get, you can get all the hardcore uh, history nerds excited about it. So yeah, this is an authentic then, Jeffersonian bull right yeah and then you know in Thomas Jefferson fashion like he did
0: with the columns uh he can make you can make that into a tax deduction for the grain alcohol right okay. because it's a it's a it's a education expense right
1: that's what you're okay, right now you've captured my interest when you're talking about you know efficient tax planning so that's that's pretty exciting yeah like what are you doing now like you're you were uh, so what do I do now so over the last Uh, you know, I went into private practice to pay off, you know, student loans while I mused about what great article I was going to write and quickly realized that I didn't want to write any articles. Um, Had a, a stint in, I did my first four or five years, I did a bunch of white collar criminal defense work, which I enjoyed, but is a pretty wretched lifestyle. And also I, I came to, to learn that my inner nerd needed to be, uh, released. And so I, uh, I shifted into appellate and uh, appellate litigation, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, and then that led me to a firm that had these hedge fund clients, and we used to do a bunch of appeals for uh, for hedge funds that had these distressed. Investments where the value of the of their usually bonds would turn on some super technical, arcane legal point. And I found that super arcane and technical kind of suited me. And so that has morphed into from just an appellate practice into now the line share of my work is actually in like federal trial courts, um, whether in bankruptcy court or district court, some appeals. But uh, it's, it's all about like, wins and loses in investment disputes between sort of it's like what I call creditor on creditor violence, right? It's it's people picking over different instruments in distressed uh, companies and you know the, the legal rights and and restructuring and, and stuff like that. So I, I'm 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 a guy who enjoys reading credit agreements, I guess, and telling you what they mean.
0: Wow! Again, I, that sounds more like a Z.
1: Yeah, it's, it's what we call a conversation stopper, right? When people ask you what you do, and I say I read 300-page credit agreements for a living, there's really not a follow-up like, oh, tell me more. You seldom get that.
0: Oh, it's kind of like you go to a party and you start off with, oh, I just got over
1: COVID. <laughs> that's right. COVID and a light case of leprosy, right? That's that's <laughs> basically, that's my, uh, that's my job. But uh, truth be told, I love it because I... I it's intellectually super complicated, It is, which is fun. It is, uh, I, I, very few people enjoy paying their lawyers bills, except for guys who make money by hiring good lawyers. So it is not, uh, it takes away kind of one of the worst parts about private practice, which is, you know, worrying about how much time you're spending on something. And um, it also has let me live in Charlottesville, uh, which we moved down here uh, in 2000 five, uh, and still work for my firm through the DC office, um, in the New York office, because those guys don't care where you are. You know, the clients don't need to see you. There's no general counsel who wants to visit or play golf. It's just, it's very, you know, it's very, uh, easy to, to do this remotely. And that's what I've done since, um, for the last, I guess, 18 years we've been down here. It's been great.
0: So I got to ask you, who's representing you in your lawsuit against Gray McLean for your torn ACL?
1: Well, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll reach a consensual settlement, uh, but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking into uh, all the great plaintiff's firms that I see advertising on TV. Um, yeah, for our listeners, and hopefully Gray will listen, uh, Gray just turned 50. And I, just, I, I, I want to reiterate that I'm 48. So this was Gray older than me. But for his 50th birthday, he wanted to go backcountry skiing, which many people say, oh, you mean like with a helicopter? Like, No, no, no. So for for Gray, we needed to do it in authentic style. So we uh, got a yurt in Colorado uh, and uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. It took us an hour. It takes you an hour and a half when you're leaving to even get cell service. So we're literally in the middle of nowhere. And you go back into these state parks and you hike up the mountain on skis with with something called skins on the bottom these like fabric things that let you walk up a mountain and you walk on you basically hike about uh 10 times as much as you ski back down now you do ski back down in 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 powder and it's pristine and no one's around and it's pretty awesome and we had a great time but on the second day and this is important for the record too the second of four days turns out that i uh uh, and no one knows why I fell. That's who's to say why I was probably pushed, but that um, did, did blow my ACL out. And so I uh, did. I skied two more days. Uh, not well, but I did complete them. But yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that Gray is is both morally and more importantly, financially responsible uh, for uh, for this. So I, uh, I look forward to my day in court.
0: Maybe I could just reach a settlement agreement that I can get a cut of.
1: Maybe yeah, not. that's what you want. So just add, I've got a number in mind. I'll just add 30% for you. And then everybody wins. Yeah,
0: and because if not, I have the leverage that I can publicly shame him on every episode from here on in. So <laughs> it, it, Ray, it's in your best interest to treat us nicely on this settlement. Just saying. Perfect. So speaking of gray in all times, any like stories doesn't necessarily meet with gray st- stories, war stories from college that you remember imp or non-imp, doesn't matter.
1: Uh, I, you know, I have one good imp story that um, is, uh, is is I think repeatable publicly. So um, I was tasked because so I, I from Roanoke I was had uh, gone to Cave Spring High School, and the year below me were Tiki and Ronde, who and I think it was Phil's idea, but someone when we were tapping Tiki. Someone uh, decided that I could do Tiki's prank because he, you know, wouldn't see it coming. If one of his, you know, fellow athletes or somebody had seen it, like it would, it would have, he would have seen it coming a mile away. But the nerdy kid that he went to high school with, perhaps a little, you know, less obvious. So the prank that this was, we had beaten Florida State that November in grand fashion, and you know, everybody rushed the field. And so I think it was that spring of my fourth year, which would have been spring of his third year, if, if I have this right. Uh the, the bit was that I was uh, assigned by the, the Judiciary Committee or the Honor Committee or some one of the you know, committees to tell him that a case had been brought against him because a fan said, this was what we told him, that a fan said that uh, in the celebration uh, getting off the field, he had taken his helmet off and hit the guy in the head with it. And, you know, looking back now with some maturity, that was really mean because, like, you know, Kiki had an NFL career ahead of him. Like, he's got this amazing TV and rate. Like, I was basically saying, like, well, you know, like, people have you know, someone accused you of, like, some, you know, some terrible crime that would have, like, darkened his future. But, it unfortunately, we did get him, I think, to the college end, if I remember, memory serves, like, that we were going to meet other witnesses in the case or something like that. But. Um, that's my best it story that, that is both uh, specific enough to recall, but then also not thoroughly committing.
0: Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Tiki. And so I'm going to make sure I forward him this episode and timestamp <laughs> this because he's been dodging me on this interview. And it's like, Tiki, you're like rubbing salt in the wound because I'm in New York or in the New York area. And he's on the radio talk shows every day. So every day I say to myself, oh, you have time to get on their radio show, but you don't have time to get on our imp show. Wow, you, you're really big time now, Tiki. You went from <laughs> us tapping you, and it could have been a violation and would have ended your career before it even started. And now we can't even get you on the imp podcast.
1: So well, tiki- maybe I'll call him and tell him that you're going to sue him on behalf of the imp podcast. Yeah, <laughs> here's
0: what we're going to do. Why don't we, on Wilkie Farr Gallagher stationery, <laughs> send him like a, like a, some sort of notice that he's being sued. And then what we'll do is we'll get Jonathan blank to do one also. And I'll just get like multiple law firms on his ass. So he like, he, he freaks out and we'll be like, ah, oh, we're only kidding, but you have to be on the podcast. That's it's like, right. Have-
1: it, it doesn't know if he's being deposed or interviewed for the podcast, but you'll get your audio one way or the other. We'll show him. We'll show
0: him. Tiki, we're on the hunt for you. Watch <laughs> out when you least expect it. We're coming for you. All right. Well, so then at what point did kids enter the uh, the conversation?
1: So we were, I guess we had moved, moved back to D.C. from Denver in 2000. 2004, uh, our first was born and then 2006 and 2008, our second and third. But the second and third are actually only 17 months apart. So it, it sounds more reasonable than it really was. Um, and yeah, so our, our oldest was one when we moved down to Charlottesville, and the other two were born here. Uh, the oldest just finished, literally last night, finished her freshman year at Wake Forest. We could not uh, persuade her to stay in Charlottesville, which we knew coming back, uh, moving back here would be uh, a likely occurrence. And uh, she had a great year at Wake, loved it. And um, then the other two are, we have a sophomore, son's a sophomore at uh, St. Anne's, and our daughter is a freshman at St. Anne's. So, so far, so good.
0: What are they into? Any, like,
1: music, law? Uh, You know, that's a good question. So the oldest one is pre-med, is already, like, crushing organic chemistry. So we don't really have anything to talk about, except I got her hooked on Formula One watching the uh, Netflix series. And so uh, after we conclude, I'm going to, you know, write some emails, and then I'm driving to Winston-Salem picking her up. Then we're going to fly to Miami for the formula one race this weekend. So it's like father daughter weekend on steroids. It's going to be super great. I hope she likes my rollerblades and thong that I'm going to be wearing down the, uh, down the sidewalk, but we'll see. Uh, and then the, my son is in, uh, he's really just into computers, uh, and mountain biking. Um, so I tried really hard to get him into basketball because I, I was just addicted to pickup basketball. Um, and, you know, I was a decent enough pickup player uh, to, uh, to play in the Dell and earn a nickname, which, you know, I, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but to be a white kid looking like Richie Cunningham and get a nickname on the Dell courts, you had to be okay. I, I wasn't good enough to be called Larry Bird. Like the really good guys got Bird. I got Detlef Shrimp. They called me Detlef.
0: So, oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So it was good enough to be, uh, you know, deadlift, but, but never, never got anywhere close to bird. But, uh, so I coached his teams for a couple of years, his rec league teams, and he just had no interest. I couldn't get him to uh, take his hands out of his pockets during the games, which, you know, is a big part of basketball is having your hands available. So he, I've learned my lesson as a father that, you know, your kids are into what they're into. And so, he likes to watch the games, and we uh, we'll do we'll go mountain biking together some, and uh, and also uh, at uh, we'll uh, I get to into his computer stuff as much as I can follow. And then our youngest is probably the most likely to be, you know, following the legal footsteps. Uh, we'll see. I just took her back for the Rehnquist reunion. She was my plus one to the Rehnquist Law Clerk reunion last weekend, so she got to uh, get a taste of that. Um, and she's super into musical theater and field hockey, so she's uh but she's feisty you know she's she'll make a good arguer uh if she goes that way.
0: Detlift shrimp man that was going back old school. okay so let's have a contest. let's see if you're into this so I want you to say Detlift shrimp four times fast and then I'll see if I can beat you with your with my version of it
1: All right Detlift shrimp debtlift shrimp deadlift shrimp debtlift shrimp Wow,
0: that's really good okay, ready for me here I go. That lift shrimp, that lift shrimp, that love shrimp, that shrimp.
1: <laughs> All right. So you can't tell on the audio, but Tom was looking down, like reading it was must have been a, a phonetic pronunciation. So uh, you know, there's an asterisk by that.
0: Yeah, I you can tell. I've been preparing for that one. I just knew I knew I knew what your reputation was at the Dell, and I knew that. Yeah. I, like, secretly... You see, I'm a great interviewer, Mark, right? So... No, that's what everyone says. Yeah. Yeah, that because I, I knew to bring that on topic because then we could have the contest. Then no one... Like, again, like, I hate to keep picking on the Zs, but what would the Zs do as their contest, right? Would, would it be the... Fibonacci or something like that? What would be so they, like they would,
1: they would have it set to like the podcast equivalent of like auto tune, right? Whatever that is. Um, <laughs> so that, that's what they would do. But I, I hear you're, you're ranked number one in secret society based UVA podcasts. Yes, that's, my that's it.
0: It's a new ranking. We just, we were able to get to number one. It was a lot of work. Uh, the advertising, uh, advertisers are beating down my door to like, to get on. And I've said, no. This is not going to become commercial. Hell no, I'm not selling out. We're not going to have advertisers on my show. Damn it.
1: Well, I I admire your integrity.
0: It's there. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool, man. So uh, what else is going on outside of, I mean, it must be all encompassing with three kids and like a challenging career, right? Like, is there time for anything else? Do you, uh, have I make body? time
1: for things like knee surgeries, um, upcoming. Uh, what else do I do? I really, I not a whole lot. Uh, Try you know kind of get to my yoga. Try to get to you know get on the Peloton as the knee allows. But um, mostly it's like chasing kids stuff, which is the best, right? It's really there's not um, really not anything you want to do at this age. Like we got to the point where as the kids get older, you know when they're younger you're like oh my gosh this is exhausting. It's great but it's exhausting. And then you know the oldest one goes away to college and you're just like a weepy mess. So now you're like well what if we fly to Miami for a formula one race? Said, what does that cost? It doesn't matter what it costs. We've got to go, you know, so, uh, I'm into kind of like soaking up everything I can. Um, I do, uh, I actually do like my job and I'm, you know, I'll do it for a little while longer. I think I don't, I don't love deadlines, but I'll, I really do. I've learned about myself over the years. I'm like one of those, uh, dogs that you can't get unless you can like let it herd sheep or whatever. And, and so I need to do something with my, uh, with my, uh, with my noodle. Uh, so I'll do that until I think of something more interesting to do and, uh, maybe write a book someday. I don't know.
0: Hey, that's fun. Do that. We just, I was just texting back and forth with Amy Breen Kunahiro. And she's right in the throes of finishing her book. So we're going to have to have her back on when she gets done with it. That's really cool. There's a lot of authors like Mike Lennox, I think has written like a thousand and seven books by now. He's like, I think I don't, I'm not quite sure how his marriage is going right now because it sounds like he
1: just writes books. It is. So Mike and Macy live about, uh, literally not even a quarter mile from us in Charlottesville. And, uh, Not to be too bougie, as the kids say, but their beach house is uh, about half a mile from ours uh, as well. So we see them a good bit. And he's always like, oh, I just got back from, you know, the red eye from Hong Kong doing. And I said, you're a tenured professor. Like, why are you ruining this gig you've got writing books, flying to speak, speak at this or that? So, yeah, no one no one ruins a good gig uh, by overdoing it like Mike Lennox.
0: Yeah, a little secret just between us that you shouldn't share with the other imps, but I think that Macy encourages him to write books and to take trips so she doesn't have to deal with them. I think that that's yeah. kind of
1: um, I, I don't blame her and um, and uh, just based on just how mean and nasty Macy is, if you, if you know her, like that's entirely believable, right? Yeah,
0: she, she's got like serious anger issues. God, it's really bad, really bad. Cool. All right. So you're in Charlottesville. So there is actually a chance that you might wander by uh, that place where we meet, which I won't say on the air because, you know, we know why. But you happen to wander by one of the meetings. What are you telling today's imps?
1: Oh, um, yeah. You know, I, I was. I wish I could say I was prepared for this question, but I prepared enough to know, uh, I guess, I'll give you the same advice uh, that I give people when they have kids and they say like, what, what advice do you have? And the answer is, uh almost anybody who gives you like definitive definitive advice about anything of consequence is completely full of it like so the the, the thing i guess i wish i had known as a uh, graduating college student was you have more time to figure it out than you think right it feels like you're supposed to know just because they're kicking you out of of college you're supposed to know what's next and the the older i've gotten the more i realize it really doesn't quite matter what you're doing right away. It, you know, it's, it's hard to see everybody who's at UVA in one or more respects is sort of wired to be the super achieving type and we're just go to what's next. And the, the thing I wish I had known then was, you know, it's more that you need to sort of take the arc over time to where you, you want to be. But the idea that you're going to know yourself at 22 is pretty preposterous. And if you knew me at 22 or 17, you would think, that is not somebody that you'd want to spend that much time with. So give yourself some time to, uh, to evolve. And
0: uh, since you're so close, do you go on any, any of the imp marches and drink tuna or do you just like make your own tuna and you stash at home and drink in the solitude of your basement?
1: How's that? Yeah, work? no, I'm not sure why you said home and basement because you left out office and desk. But um, no, you know, I haven't. I need, you know, Lennox has, has uh, threatened to get me uh, out there now and then at some alumni event, but I have yet to re-engage. But it's on the list now that the kids are older. I do care. I do have. I'm not sure if I was supposed to take it or not, but I do have a pitchfork uh, in my garage and a hat that the kids wore several Halloween. So uh, I'm ready if the hat still fits. I don't know, like, do our heads get bigger? Everything else gets sort of, you know, a little snugger, but I'm not sure if my my head has expanded. Well, it's
0: interesting. I learned on the last episode with the current imps, now the pitchforks, it's like they're done at like the engineering school or architecture school or something like that. They've got some sort of machine that continue, makes the prototype each one is perfect. it like
1: carbon fiber and yeah and, okay. yeah
0: it's it's probably made of something recycled this that and the other thing probably Gray McLean is like saying oh you can't use that material you have to use this material he's I heard I don't know if this is true but I heard that Gray was seen with a bag going and looking in trash cans and getting aluminum uh, cans and then that yes. aluminum was being like made into pitchforks somehow I think that there's something to that.
1: Well, it is a big part of his work uh, in in support of sustainability. Is again, secret society paraphernalia is the number one climate threat. People do not appreciate, and, and Gray's really at the forefront of a sustainable secret society infrastructure.
0: Yeah, he's you know, I've, I he's a giver. He's a giver. He gave you <laughs> an injury. He, he gives us pitchforks, and then finally. You get sick of Bodo's when you live in Charlottesville. Like, does that happen? What happens? It
1: doesn't. It doesn't happen. I'm here to tell you. You, you don't get there. We spoke about this a little bit uh, before we started. Like, you know, you get to the point where uh, a, a Bodo's outing is almost as toxic as a like a, a, a night uh, of of hard drinking because of all the carbs. But when you go you got to do it right. So I I do get there from time to time. Uh, and it's, it's just as glorious as everybody remembers. Jeez, Mark, everyone
0: said you were going to be a terrible interview. You weren't <laughs> that bad. You were like, out of my 40 podcasts or so that I've done, you were at least 38
1: 39. That is better than I expected. Like, again, I've, I've made a career uh, and most of just my life setting low expectations and slightly exceeding them. So I appreciate that. And Right on brand for me. Like, again, the nickname is Detlift for a reason. Mark Detlift
0: Shrimp. It was great hanging out with you, my brother. Thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it.
1: Enjoyed it. Take care. All
0: right. Take care. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I wanna tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing, don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S,
1: as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.